This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. Today's scripture passage comes from Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and the Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, This letter to the Galatians is a book that has changed uh, the lives of many unbelievers, but it's actually been uh, the book that has been maybe the most life-changing for believers. Uh, Yes, uh, for believers, people who have put their faith in Christ, held on to the gospel. It's these people that have revisited this book and it's changed uh, their life. I know a pastor uh, who was well into ministry, passionate about the Lord. And it was this pastor who came from a church where works were heavily emphasized. As he studied Galatians, and in preaching this book, his life changed. His whole approach to ministry changed. His sermons started to feel different and look different because this gospel that he preached so regularly, it was actually in studying Galatians that he understood that he only got a little bit of it. And as he dove into the gospel with his whole life, understanding his whole life is now supposed to be about the gospel, his whole ministry changed where it was a lot less of you need to be like this and a lot more of God and his love for you, where the, the whole uh, emotion that would resonate uh, from his ministry was before pressure and performance and to, to be better and to be more godly. And it turned to one of love, one of joy, one of peace, patience, kindness, the fruit of the Spirit that this book talks about. And what you will find in this such such a short book, but a powerful book, is you'll recognize the tendencies within your own heart. When you desire to follow the Lord, and you desire to be intentional and to be passionate, it's going to be that desire, a good desire, that will lend itself to enslave you again. And what Paul will do in this book so clearly is tell you what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. And as he continues to decipher those two things, what you will find is that in your pursuit of the gospel, in your pursuit of the Lord, how to do it in a way where it continues to be life-giving, and your faith continues to bear the fruit of love, joy, and peace, 
as opposed to it being this burdensome thing. It's been known as the Magna Carta of, the Christ, of Christian liberty, meaning the letter about Christian freedom, which is why we're entitling it uh, Freedom in Jesus. And so as he, as he begins, what's so interesting is this letter that's supposed to be about freedom and love, joy, and peace, he's actually the least kind as he starts. Why? Because the gospel is at stake. Grace is at stake. There's other letters that he has written, and the church, and maybe in our eyes, was a lot more, you know, broken. The Corinthian church, it was known to be a divided church, right? The Corinthian church, it's that passage that you know of uh, where love is patient, love is kind, right? That passage about love is about the church. It was a divided people where they had lawsuits against each other and the church was filled with sexual immorality. And to that church, Paul begins with a greeting and even an encouragement of all the things that God is doing in the midst of that church. And what you'll recognize is what Paul values and what we value is very, very different. If you entered into a church where it was divided, people were suing each other, people were known for their sexual misconduct, Paul would go over there and encourage the people in the grace of the Lord. But to this church who was intentionally, who was intentional spiritually, it was in their pursuit, they started to miss the gospel. Paul is upset. And he gets right into it. So he gets right into business in verse 1. He's going to go into a defense, a vigorous defense of his apostleship. And he's going to go into this to make sure it's very, very, very clear that the gospel has divine origins. It's not man-made. And it's so important that he is defending his apostleship because he recognizes once his credit, his credibility is compromised, that the gospel will be compromised. Because he's the one that, that lays it down so clearly. And so the divine origin of the gospel. In verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle, not from men. So in the very beginning, he says very clearly what it is not. An apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. And compared to all other letters, he, in this letter, goes into a deep defense, goes beyond the normal to be able to defend his apostleship, his credibility. Why does he do this? He does this for the same reasons we end up doing it about Scripture. Because we live in a day and age where if you are a Christian and people know that you are a believer, it's going to be soon after where they may say something along the lines of how can you believe a book that was written such a long time ago, that was written by men who had an agenda? And they're going to question how can you actually believe the credibility, the validity, validity of this book? And the Bible is very, well, very aware 
that whether it's in our age or in Paul's age, when you have a message from the Lord, people will ask, and rightfully so, I would say, how can you trust it? How can you trust what Paul says here is valid? He says that he's an apostle of the Lord, apostle chosen by Christ, not by a delegation, not by a committee who thought and, and thought through, okay, who is the, the right man for this job. His claim is that the Lord chose him. And as the Lord chose him, he calls himself an apostle. An apostle is a delegate entrusted with a mission, carrying the authority of the sender. And so the 12 disciples are the apostles. Others are included, James, Barnabas, Silas, people that the Lord chose, commissioned for a purpose. And that's Paul's claim. Now, the question would be, should we trust anybody who claims that they have a message from God? Right? If I came to you and I said, guys, last night, I got this amazing vision, and I have a new command that the Lord has given to us. What should your response be? Your response should be, if it's not in the word, it ain't no good. See, what Paul is doing here is different than something like the Mormon church, where Joseph Smith, who founded the Mormon church, um, in 1820, had a vision. And he had a vision that he later talks about that it was God the Father and Christ. And then he's another vision in 1823, where an angel directed him uh, to a buried book of golden plates inscribed with a Judeo-Christian history of an ancient American civilization. And so he has these repeated visions, writes them down, and tells people, I have found the new commands that God has told me about. And that's how the Mormon church has started. And so the question ends up being, how can we trust Paul? And how can we trust Joseph Smith? Should they both be trusted if people claim that they are of the Lord? Well, the only thing that they have in common is that they both claim that they have a message from the Lord. From there, everything is different. And the way in which we can trust Paul is he goes into this defense and he continues to, to, to uh, share what this defense is. One, that he was accepted by the apostles. That though God did clarify what the, the plan was for the Gentiles, it was nothing new. And so it goes on even later on in this letter about how the apostles, how Peter took him in and gave him the right hand of fellowship. That the apostles supported Paul, but also Paul's message is consistent with Christ, the Old Testament, and the apostles. And so what you see Paul doing, he's, he's not just saying, just because someone says, I have a message from God, they should listen. But he's saying, I have a message from the Lord, and it's verified by the apostles, the Old Testament, and Christ himself. You see, what he is seeing, what he's trying to, uh, what he's trying to do with these verses, and he continue, as he continues to, to defend his apostleship, 
He's not simply saying that he has authority. He has been given authority. But even more than that, the weight of all of this is that the gospel is not human, but it is divine. It is not man-made, but it is divine. And so from here on out, the test will always be anything that anyone has to say, does it go in accordance with the gospel? George Whitfield says it this way, and I think he says it really well. Other men may have preached the gospel better than I, but no man can preach a better gospel. And that's the beauty of this book. As we go into it for the next several weeks, the idea is that if you can understand what the gospel is and what the gospel is not, if you can understand the clarity of what the gospel does and the, and the results of the gospel, what you will find is, is the key, the truth, the ability to have freedom in your faith, not a burdened, guilt-ridden faith where you're always feeling like you have to do more and be better. But what would it look like to have a faith where there's real joy, real peace. He does such a good job of explaining the gospel that people have been moved by it. But the point is that the message is divine. And there's good news in that. The good news is that you then have the ability as you understand the gospel, to have that intimacy with the Lord. You have the ability, right, where it's not about the messenger, but it's about the message. So when you think about it, when you know the gospel and how the gospel is truly the gateway, the door for you to be able to access God, the idea is if you know the gospel, nothing separates you from God. Not even your performance. That's why it's considered this, this Christian liberty, uh, freedom in Christ. But when you understand that even more, if you can understand the gospel and you can share that with others, what that means is the power of the gospel is never found in you. And so you could have confidence to know that if you can understand the gospel and share the gospel, then the person who hears it they will be moved. Not because you have the power, because the gospel itself has the power. So as you continue to share that with others, yes, some people will reject you. But when the Lord is working with your own words, as you try to do your best to explain the gospel, what Paul is saying is the message is divine. If you can help people see the message there's power in that, and you can be used. You can be used to be an agent, a messenger, a small a apostle, one that is sent for the Lord. The message has divine origins, but the message itself is divine. So he goes into this in verse 3, the divine message. Right To the church of Galatia, read with me, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The idea of grace and peace is not a throwaway statement for a greeting. The way that Paul understands it, it's, it's in essence the gospel. The shortest way to explain what the gospel does. Grace, what is it? It's unmerited favor, right? You've done nothing to deserve this kindness. It's unmerited favor. And then peace. Peace is the idea of not simply a lack of chaos, but it's well-being. It's the idea of total flourishing. What God has in mind for you is grace, forgiveness of sins, but peace, a life that is flourishing because you have given yourself to God and his ways. So he continues on explaining that in verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this evil present age. And he clarifies again that Jesus, he wasn't just a teacher. He wasn't just a moral example. He wasn't just a nice guy. He explains very clearly what Jesus did. He gave himself. It's the very teachings of Christ. Luke 5.31 Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. That Christ came for the sick. Matthew 20 Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and gave his life as a ransom for many, that was his agenda. That was his mission to be a ransom, to give his life, not just to teach, not just to heal, not just to help, but his mission was to give his life as a ransom. So in verse 4, when we read, who gave himself for our sins, that's what he does. That's the gospel. So he continues to build up the foundation of this letter. He gives himself for our sins. Why? And this is the aspect of peace. To deliver us from the present evil age. In just a few words, Paul explains the magnitude of how much the gospel should impact us. It's not simply that Jesus gave himself for our sins. We are forgiven So now we're good, and that's it. The idea is he has forgiven us for peace. He has forgiven us for life. He has forgiven us to be able to now understand the law and follow the law. What he's showing us is that he, by the gospel, we are delivered from this present evil age, showing us how far-reaching the gospel goes. There's a a well-known book that many uh, seminarians will read in seminary about sin and what sin is by Cornelius Plantiga. It's entitled, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. In the beginning of his book, he uses a clip from uh, this movie, this old movie uh, called Grand Canyon. And he begins by explaining uh, the character the character, he's an immigrant attorney. Uh, he is stuck in traffic, so he decides to bypass the traffic and exit off the highway. As he exits off the highway, he goes into a sketchy part of town. As he, ho- as he hopes to be able to get out of the situation, the worst thing that can possibly happen, happens. His car stalls, and his car dies. 
And so he's in a suit in this sketchy part of town in this nice car. He's worried. He calls the tow truck, tells him to get there as, as soon as he can so that he wouldn't have to encounter any danger. Uh, as he's waiting, the inevitable happens. Five guys come out of this car, surround his car, asking him what he's doing. The guy, the attorney, says, oh, I don't want any trouble. What do you want? I'll give you whatever you need. But the guys want more. And as he's trying to defend himself, the tow truck comes. The tow truck uh, pulls in front of the car, backs in, and, then tow and, then, and the driver asks, which one of you is the owner? It's like, oh, that's me. And he just continues to go about his business. As he does, as a tow truck driver wants to pull the car out, you know, the, the five, they don't want that. They want everything that this guy has to offer. So the tow truck driver pulls him aside and he says these words. Man, the world ain't supposed to work like this. Maybe you don't know that, but this ain't the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be able to do my job without asking you if I can. And that dude is supposed to be able to wait with his car without you ripping him off. And then he says these lines that end up being a big part of this book. Everything's supposed to be different than what it is here. Everything's supposed to be different than what it is right here, right now. And Alvin Plantiga uses that line from this movie, this respected theologian, right, with, on this theological book about sin, uses this sentiment. It's, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Everything is supposed to be different. He uses that line to help us understand that sin. Whenever in life you're so fed up, there's no way up, all you can think is, how did this happen? It's not supposed to be like this. This respected theologian, because of, I would say, a loss of words, uses this sentiment to help us understand the nature of sin. That whenever you have said that in your own heart, everything is supposed to be different than this. This is not the way it's supposed to be. This is what Paul is talking about in terms of the evil present age. It's this all-encompassing idea. When you wonder, what is the gospel? God, don't you want me to be, have all these other things? And you can think about the list. Marriage, family, education, finances, and the list goes on. What Paul would say is the ultimate thing that you need is forgiveness from your sins to be delivered from this evil present age. For Paul, it's all connected. And so whenever you have had that moment, right, in your 20s, Maybe you recall that night when you're looking out the window, wondering how in the world did my, did my life end up this way? You're thinking it's not supposed to be this way. What he is saying are the sentiments of sin 
and how sin has devoured your life. And that's what he is getting at. What we do and what Paul is getting at is there is the gospel that's a solution for life and then there's everything else, man-made gospels. And we jump to, you and I, we jump to this all the time. We jump to man-made gospels all the time, whether it's loneliness, restlessness, shame. When When we're experiencing the evil present age, what do we always do? We jump to man-made gospels, self-help books. And so as, as when, we're, when we're lonely, when we're trying to figure out how do we get out of our lonely state, what do you do? You jump to, even as a believer, what? A man-made gospel. When I'm lonely, okay, there's something wrong with me. So I need to work on myself. Maybe get a better job. Maybe I work on my physique to get more beautiful. And read a book or two about how to make good friends. And what is that? It's a man-made gospel. You work until you reach a point of salvation. Finally, I'm good enough to be loved. Right? If you're a people pleaser, what's the struggle? Right? To not, not, to not live for the opinions of man or for woman. But what is it? It's a man-made gospel. So every time we fall into this work of wanting to please somebody, you work and you work and work, when the person is happy, there's a satisfaction. But what is it? It's only for a moment. Restlessness. Right? You want to be content. Especially as you grow older. This seems to be a greater struggle. Right? Everything that we achieve, we start to recognize of how empty and fleeting it is. So what do you do? You work and you work even harder. You try to change your expectations, but you can't. And so what happens? You're not secure, you're not content, you're filled with anxiety, you feel like a failure. That's this evil present age that Paul is talking about. And what Paul wants us to understand as he goes into this book is that it's simple what the gospel is. God saves sinners. That's it. There's no performance on your end. It's all grace and it's all peace. It sounds too simple. But the idea is you can be delivered from this evil present age. Once you get the gospel in your heart and you stop living for man-made gospels and you work and you work and you work and you're disappointed. For what's the gospel? You are saved. You are accepted, loved as who you are. But even as you fail and struggle, still loved, still accepted, he brings you in and he guides you. So instead of living for the approval of people, once you get the gospel and you find the approval of God, what are you? You're now free. You're freed to love. Freed not to live for the approval of others, but free to love in your loneliness. It's not about trying to get good enough, beautiful enough, that someone would have you, a community would accept you. But in the gospel, what is it? In the state that you already are, he sees you and he loves you. So he brings you in. What does that do for friendship? 
You're not needy anymore. You're not questioning. You're not insecure about everything. Because you're secure in Christ, because you're already accepted for who you are, what are you free to do? You're freed to love. Isn't that what we want? Right? Isn't that what we want our friendships to be like? To not be sensitive, to not always get upset about every little thing, but to love, to care about others in relationship. Restlessness. We work and we work and we work and we finally achieve what we think we want and what? We're disappointed. But idea is what if you're already secure? That you already found your meeting. And what would it be like to be able to go into your workplace freed to simply work and to enjoy that? To have your struggles, to have your failures, but having that not define you. You see, the longer you and I, we grow in life, we make these different moves to different cities, you're going to start to realize that you're pursuing something that's a mirage. It's a disappointment. And it's in those moments you will recognize what Paul is talking about here this evil present age. What he's talking about isn't simply sex trafficking and slavery, the crimes and the poverty. Yes, that's all a result of the gospel. But what he is talking about is the very disappointment. Whenever you say, this is not the way it's supposed to be, what Paul is saying is the answer is not a man-made gospel. It's a gospel of divine origin the very thing that Paul is very upset about of the Galatian church, that they've compromised it and they've turned their back on the gospel. Shame, what do you do with shame? You try to cover it up, try to blot out that stain, and try to be better. But shame is one of those things, it's a residue within your heart you can't get rid of. So the man-made gospel will have you to work and work and work We need to recognize you can't take that stain off. What's the gospel? What does Jesus do in John 8 to the woman who is caught in adultery? She is brought out into the public to be judged, to be shamed. The Pharisees have put Jesus in a trap as Jesus has talked about grace. They're going to say, if you continue to talk about grace, ha, there, see, You don't follow the law of Moses. So Jesus, what does he do? This woman has been brought out into the open to be judged and shamed. And Jesus' response to all of them. The first person to to throw the stone be the one who is without sin. And what happens? It's from the oldest to the youngest the crowd leaves. Isn't it interesting? The oldest. The oldest leaves first. Why is that? If it's the oldest, it's those of us who have lived life long enough where we actually try to achieve and live through this man-made gospel salvation way. We recognize that we always fall short. So when Jesus says, let the first one without sin be the one to throw the stone, the oldest leave first. At the end of it, no one else is there besides Jesus and the lady. And what does Jesus say to the lady? Has no one condemned you? Neither do I. 
Go and sin no more. That's the gospel. She's accepted in the midst of all her sin, all her struggles. She is accepted and loved. And now Jesus works with her. Go and sin no more. He doesn't want her to continue to live in that way. What does he do? He brings her in, accepts her, loves her. Because it's going to be the love and the gospel itself that transforms. That's what this book is all about. When you think about the evil present age, there's a lot of things for us to be passionate about in this lifetime. For some of us, we're going to use our efforts to fight modern-day trafficking and slavery. It's great. For some others of us, we're going to do our best to fight poverty and to be generous, and that's great. But the one thing that we have to, uh, we have to understand, we have to have the same emotions of Paul. What was Paul most passionate about? The gospel. And so for us, it's an invitation for in this series to give God all of our hearts so we can know what the gospel is deeply so we would have freedom, true freedom to love. Let's pray. If you've been blessed through this ministry, Join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. Thank you for listening, and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.